Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Uh, We're going to be continuing our Genesis series. We're up to Genesis chapter 30. Uh, If you want to follow along with me, you can do so by uh, looking up at the screen uh, using your own Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we've got baskets down the aisles. You can grab one of those baskets, take a Bible out, and turn to Genesis chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God? Who has kept you from having children? Then she said, This is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as his wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out to the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honour because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Or Dina, I'm not sure. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph, and said, May the Lord add to me another son. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way, so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, 
You know how I have worked for you and how your livestock have fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? He asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove for them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-coloured lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-coloured will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. That same day, he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all, all that had white on them, all the dark-coloured lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend to the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches of poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he peeled branches on all the watering, sorry, then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches, and they bore young that was streaked and speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked or dark-coloured animals that belonged to Laban. Thus, he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were on heat, Jacob would place the branches in front of the troughs, in, sorry, in the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Let's welcome Lockie. Thank you, Hayden. You got through that one. Well done. <laughs> My first sentence is going to make sense now. When I was a kid... My mum used to get sick of the way I was always arguing with her and I'd always talk back. I knew this because she'd bark at me, don't talk back. Her go-to line was, it was one of those, um, you know, if you don't change your face, the wind will change or something. Change your face if the wind changes. One of those lines. Her line was, Lachlan, you could argue the sky green. I reckon I could probably give it a go now, but I'll spare you that. And she was sort of right. I was the sort of person um, that always questioned things. But it wasn't necessarily one of those good, questionable sort of traits, not one of those curious people who always wants to know how things work or, um, you know, how things are made or why things happen or the meaning of life. It wasn't like that. It was just a a judgment, a a sort of, nah, that can't be right. I reckon I know the answer. I reckon I know it should be a certain different way. So it was just the age-old question that I'd always ask was why? Lachlan, we're going to your auntie's house on Sunday afternoon. You can't watch the football game. Why? She's having a family get-together, all getting together. Why? Because we haven't seen each other in a while. Why? Because we live 40 minutes away. Why? Because 
Do you want the wooden spoon? <laughs> Why? Psh. Didn't hurt. Then you get another one. I've dropped my mic here. But you know who really annoyed, gets annoyed by my um, constant questioning? That's my wife. You can imagine. Believe it or not, uh, it's not always good to contradict your wife's uh, plans, ideas, actions, thoughts, dreams. Just don't do it. But that's a flaw of mine. I'm always thinking, why? What's, what's, what's so good about this? Even what's in it for me? So to our passage today, listening to Hayden absolutely dominate the reading of Genesis 30, you might have been thinking like me. You might have, might not. What's the relevance here to me? Why is this story in the Bible? What does it have to do with me? What does God want to teach me? I hope you are thinking some of those things, but not like I might with arms crossed and furrowed brow trying to be impressed. But if you are like me, sometimes you need, you need a reason for something, which is okay. We're only human. And the, the coming chapters of Genesis, which we're going through now, uh, we've got a lot still to cover. There's a lot of co- colourful narrative coming up, some clear teaching, uh, some fun parts of the Bible, easy to read, um, stories that we tell our children that we've known since Sunday school. Uh, but while we're reading stories now of um, who's getting pregnant, which wife or servant's bearing the kids, who gets a sheep, what colour's the sheep, I'm thinking, why? Why are we reading all this stuff about all these babies and all these battles and all these servants having kids? And Why do we need to know all this? But it gets back... I feel, to what this whole book of Genesis is about and what this whole Bible is about, and that's a promise. God made a promise to Abraham through the middle chapters of Genesis, which had a number of elements. He promised a great number of descendants. He promised great wealth. And he promised a blessing to all his people. So that's what we want to cover today. I want to revisit. We're going to have a good old-fashioned Bible study. We've got a lot, actually, to cover so we'll be quick, but, um, but we're going to look into this promise again and how it relates to this, this verse, these verses. So look, let's look at family first. In Genesis 15, God called on a 75-year-old Abraham. He took him outside and they sang that Coldplay song together, Look at the stars. I'm not going to keep singing. How they shine. No. No, he actually said, look up at the stars and in the sky and count them if indeed you can count them. He said to him, so shall your offspring be. One, two, three, four, five, carry the 12. There's a lot of stars up there, right? And he did indeed provide Isaac, who went on to bear Jacob, who married Leah and Rachel, and this is where we are in the story now. So chapter 30, Leah, in chapter 29, one of Jacob's wives, he's already born four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and the special one, Judah. Rachel is getting pretty annoyed at this stage. Jacob's other wife, or Jacob's first love, but second wife. And I don't blame her for this because you can imagine after this time she's got a little bit of an ego. Uh, when her husband Jacob worked seven years just for her, ended up with the, a different wife, her sister worked another seven years to make sure that she did indeed, he did indeed marry uh, Rachel. So you talk about being pursued and feeling wanted, it's just it's what women Want. I mean, there's a movie about that. You can see that. I don't have all the answers. But they, they do like that. And Rachel, she's used to things falling her own way, yeah? So she's not happy 
that she is not bearing any children. She, she says to Jacob, I am going to die if you don't give me any kids. Jacob's he doesn't like that. He says, hang on a sec. Come on, give me a break. I am not God. I can't just conjure up kids at a whim. This reminds me of conversations that happen in my home. I love these $200 boots. I'm going to die if I don't get them. <laughs> oh, what, am I God? I'm just going to conjure up another 200 bucks every week for shoes, shoes, shoes. I'm going to pay for that later. Katie's not here. <laughs> Cost me more than 200 bucks. So Rachel is struggling. Jacob's getting annoyed. Things aren't going their way. And so this is the classic Bible imagery of the Old Testament. Time and time again in this family, Rachel's going to take matters into her own hands. And she gives Jacob a servant, a servant to bear children. Jacob's child number five and number six are born. And while this is happening, Leah's thinking, hey, hang on, I'm not having any more kids. So she gets her own servant as well. And two more kids come with Jacob. So we meet little baby Gad and daughter Asher. So at this point of the story, we have to remember the legacy of this family. Jacob deceived his father and stole his birthright from his brother um, by deceiving Isaac, um, or because he wanted what he couldn't have. And now it's the same with Jacob's wives. They're not satisfied either. They're bitter with each other, and they want what they can't have at any one time. Whenever one sister's bearing a child, or the other sister's slaves is bearing children, they can't stand it. They want to produce so quick kid count at this point in the story. Leah has four. Leah's servants have two. Rachel's servants had two. And the bottom of the ladder is Rachel with a bagel, with zero. Rachel is getting really desperate. She's watching all this happen. And from verse 14, one of Leah's sons, Reuben, as we read, finds some mandrakes in the field. Now, what is a mandrake? Anyone know what a mandrake is? Study. So it's a, it's a plant. It's like a food. Uh, they describe it as a root. Um, and these mandrakes, they're believed to actually have fertile properties. So some people refer to them as love apples. Another apple in the Bible. Look out. I don't think they look like apples. But they're a root. But anyway, they're, they're, they have links to fertility. So Rachel sees these. Let's read through verse 14. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. And this deal, I don't think this is a very good deal. Rachel says, give me fruits that will help me provide to help me be more fertile and now you can have my husband so I'm not going to be able to be very fertile that reminds me of the time recently when um, Katie uh, she woke up in the middle of the night and she was really restless and I asked what's wrong she's like oh, I'm just a bit cold it's all right I'm a bit cold I said I'm on it so I set the house on fire <laughs> now she's warm but we didn't have a house. So I'm thinking, you know, you trade these, you get these mandrakes so you can be more fertile, but here's my husband. I don't know what I'm going to do with them now. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe it makes sense to you. So Leah gets Jacob out of this great deal, and she has not one, not two, but three more children. And thus ends the ungodly competition uh, between these sisters. This week I read one account describing 
the battle between uh, Leah and Rachel as, uh, as more of a poker game. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in this house, but bear with me. You, know, you see Rachel say, I'm going to bid one wife, loved and beautiful. And Leah says, okay, I'll match your one wife and I'll raise you a concubine and the concubine's two sons. Rachel says, okay, I'll match your one wife, raise you a concubine and the concubine's two sons. Leah says, oh, okay, I've got... In my here, I've got, I'll raise you another concubine, two more sons by her, plus two more by my own, and I'll throw you in a daughter. <laughs> so to me, Leah's winning, and Rachel must be shaking her head, thinking, what have I done? But that's not where it ends, because God remembers Rachel. God remembers us. Verse 22, he listened to her and enabled her to conceive. So finally... Jacob and Rachel have a child. It's son number 11, child number 12 for Jacob. They name him Joseph. In some texts, they call this event opening her womb, opening Rachel's womb. Commentator um, David Guzik writes that the idea of God's sovereignty over the womb, this is a persistent theme in the Bible. God granted twins to Rebekah in Genesis 25. He opens the womb of Leah in Genesis 29 and closes the womb of Hannah in 1 Samuel. The purposes of God in opening one and closing one um, may be completely unknowable, but God always has his purpose, which we'll get to in a moment. A lot of stories about Katie today. It's a shame she's not here. Actually, it's a good thing she's not here. Am I right, Kim? <laughs> I want to tell you a bit about before Katie and I had our little son, Mitchell Man, who's nearly two. We were trying for quite a while. Uh, to conceive, and after more than a year of trying, uh, it was getting harder for us to keep a positive attitude and keep faith. Um, so it, we just wanted to check it out that everything was okay physically. So we got some blood tests done. We went together to get the results at the, J, at the GP, and the G, we sat together. And the GP looked at Katie and said, "Katie, you're all good. Numbers are great. Just have a bit of vitamin D, and you, you'll be you'll be sweet." So. We were like, well, that's, that's good that she's all right, but I wonder what's, what's going on. And then the GP turned to me, and I think, I don't know, maybe this is my ego, but the, the sweetest sound in the world is your own name, right? So, but I think the worst sound in the world is when your own name is said by a doctor followed by a long pause. <laughs> so she, she goes to me, Lachlan. I could take that, that tone. The tone's enough, but if it was Lachlan... We have your results. Okay, okay, what are your results? Or if, even if it was Lachlan, we have your results. Okay, all right, what are the results? But I just got a Lachlan. Yes, what is going on? So it turns out uh, things weren't so good with me. I have very high triglyceride levels, which is a measurement of cholesterol. Um, there's three types of fat in your blood. Basically, there's good fat, there's bad fat, and there's ugly fat. The ugly fat, fat, that's the triglycerides. Um, and this is no joke. Um, I guess I can be proud of it. My, my triglyceride levels were, were twice as high as the highest they've ever seen. <laughs> the doctor actually pinned the results in her office <laughs> to show them off to the ClinPath heads. So at first I was shocked and then I was relieved because we, we discovered this that was wrong with me. And I'm now on medication, very strong medication. I'm fine. But you wonder what it could have been if not for this delay in what we wanted. Katie and I wanted to conceive a child. It took a long time. And God put us down a path of blood tests. And we discovered this, this, this ailment of mine and it probably saved my life. 
God works through everything, even the stress and the disappointment and the uncertainty of not being able to have children during that season. It was part of God's plan. And back to our story in Genesis, when Rachel's womb is opened by God, who knew that this this child that was born, Joseph, would go on to be a key player in God's redemptive purpose for his family. We'll read in later chapters in Genesis that Joseph goes on to save Egypt from famine, save his family's life through his faithfulness and gifts from God and wasn't just coming down to a, a snazzy, jazzy jacket. But in all our mess, in all our selfish ambition, our failure to produce, to live up to our own expectations, our fighting, our bickering, our competition, the shortcuts we take for ourselves, God will intervene. So his promise to us will manifest. This happened with Abraham's descendants through Isaac and now Jacob. In the second story in this chapter, we're at a point where Rachel has born a son. So Jacob thinks, good, job done, time to move back to Canaan, to move back home. He's been with Laban in Haran for 14 years um, and he knows he belongs in the promised land. He calls this land my country. So we'll pick it up now in verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I've served you and I'll be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said, if I have found favour in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I'll pay them. Jacob wants to leave. He feels like he's been a loyal servant. Uh, 14 years already, but if you're Laban, you're thinking, I'm on a good wicket here. I don't want to leave you know, the most clever farmer, sheepist, whatever they're called. I don't want to lose one of my best employees. So Laban's a bit tricky. He says, I've learned by divination that he has been blessed through him. And this divination actually means through occult rituals and such. It's not directly from God. He's, using, he's basically blaspheming, so I've learned that God's blessed me. And it was through divination. But he writes uh, Jacob a blank check and says, name your price. Jacob, um, as we know, has already been a loyal worker for dozens of years since that time. And he agrees with Laban. Yes, the Lord has blessed you. Um, so it would be fair for him to want his cut. But by faith, he says, don't give me anything. I'll tend to your bad or weaker flocks, the speckled and the spotted. So they can be mine and you can keep the strong ones for yourself. And I don't think Laban could shake Jacob's hand fast enough. Can you imagine? You're in a job and you want to move interstate and your boss says, no, don't go, I'll pay you whatever you want to stay. And you say, well, how about this for a counter? I'll stay, pay me less, give me the office with no windows at the back and the bad coffee in a car park 10 minutes away. Like, this is, what, this is what Jacob was saying, basically. But through faith, he's humble. He trusts in God's plans. He knows he's in for some more hard years of grind. Because in this area of the world in Haran, the sheep, they're almost always white. Jacob proposes that he be given all the unusual sheep, the speckled, the spotted, the dark-coloured lamb, and any speckled or spotted goats. Anytime Laban was going to be concerned that Jacob was cheating him, because this is the game that they, they were playing, all he had to do was go to Jacob's pen and he'll see that the white sheep were there. And, and I said, I reckon this is a crazy good deal for Laban. But that's not enough for Laban, is it? 
He stuffed him around with Jacob's wives and now he's going to try to sabotage his work as well. The same day, we read that he removed all the male goats that were streaked and spotted and the speckled and the spotted female goats and and all the dark-coloured lambs. And then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob. So he's just basically... Separate, he has separated them, but he's put them a long way away while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flock. So he was only working for Laban. And this wasn't Laban's idea of a superannuation account, I don't think. This was, I'm going to stuff you around. It was making sure that there were no speckled, spotted, dark-coloured animals for Jacob. And he was ripping him off once again. Jacob begins his new independence with nothing, as he's worked for 14 years for nothing as well. He's still the victim. Well, not nothing. He's got Rachel and Leah and kids. Throughout the Bible, we read of the struggles of God's people. Abel was murdered by his mother. Lot had to flee for his life while his home was destroyed. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son at an altar, and God stopped him before he went through with it. Jacob had to flee from the wrath of Esau, and Joseph's going to have a tough time with his brothers pretty soon. And it goes on. Moses gets sick of his people. Job lost everything. Nearly all the disciples were martyred. It's it's a story. It's the story of us. And so it's no surprise that Jacob is also treated unfairly. It was unfair. He had to work 14 years for the wife he agreed to work for seven years for. It was unfair that Laban profited from Jacob and didn't share the profit. And it was unfair that in the next chapter, in chapter 31, we read that Laban changes the wages all the time. after he agrees to give him the stripped and spotted and speckled and lambs. But Jacob has a plan because God has a plan. Let's pick it up in verse 37. Jacob, however, took fresh cut branches from poplar, almond and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. You ever do that as a kid playing with sticks? You peel back. It was not the bark, it was the skin. You could see the white underneath. He placed those peeled branches in all the watering troughs so they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves but made the rest face the streaked and dark-coloured animals that belonged to Laban. So he made separate flocks for himself. And it goes on to say that he crossbred those animals so that the strong kept getting stronger and the weak kept getting weaker and he kept the strong ones with the spots and the weak ones without. I'm not an expert in animal husbandry. I'm not really an expert in human husbandry, but that's another story. But this is a bit of mad scientistry. I'm not really going to explain it, but he obviously knows what he's doing and he's very clever. And it goes on to say that um, he was blessed abundantly. He became very wealthy. It wasn't because Jacob was especially good. It was because of the promise that God made to Jacob and the covenant made to Abraham. In the same way, blessing comes from the Lord to us, not because we're great or we're good, but because of the covenant God has made with us through Jesus and his promise that he's given us in his word. And I love the way one commentator puts it. Jacob is willing to refer himself to the providence of God. He trusts in God and he knew that providence extended itself even to the smallest things, even the colour of cattle. God is working in everything and we should trust him in anything. Do you trust God completely? 
and you might know I, I like a bit of running, jogging around. I heard a story of a friend who was jogging in some hilly, hilly areas, uh, coastal areas, and as he passed a cliff, he got too close and he fell. And he was grabbing hold of this branch and he was stranded. There was no way up and there was definitely no way down. It was quite high. He was screaming, hello, is anyone there? Can anyone hear me? Yelled for hours and hours just holding on. And he was about to give up and he heard a voice. Jack, can you hear me? And this Jack's like, yes, I can hear you. I'm down here. I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? And he said, yes, I, I'm, I'm fine. But who are you? Where are you? I'm the Lord, Jack. I'm everywhere. Jack said, the Lord, you mean God? God said, yeah, that's me. Well, God help me because I'm stuck here. I promise if you get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. God says, easy on the promises, Jack. First, let's get you down and then we can discuss those. Jack says, I'll do anything, Lord. Just, just tell me what to do, anything. Lord says, okay, let go of the branch. Jack, what? Lord says, I said, let go of the branch. Just trust me. Let go. Hello, help. Is anyone else there? Is anyone there to help me? <laughs> Friends, I know that some of you in this church today, you're dealing with some really hard raps. You feel stuck on a cliff hanging off. You're getting some bad news. You're being knocked around. There's uncertainty. There's pain. There's struggle. Are you going to be like Jacob or are you going to be like Jack? Are you going to trust in the Lord? You're going to let go of whatever you're holding on to. But I want to focus on why you can keep going. Because that's what today is all about. It's why, why this story? Why this promise? And why is there hope for us? I want to list some, the help of someone. He's a comedian. If you know me, I like to joke around a bit. Um, not take things too seriously. And I know humour is God's invention. But I've got a clip by a, he's a Christian comedian by the name of Michael Jr. I don't know if you've heard of him. Goes around to churches and prisons and, and makes jokes, um, sometimes at uh, church's expense. Um, but he's not actually super funny in this one. He's just, he makes a really good point that I want to um, borrow from him. Um, so it's just a, a few minutes. We'll look at this clip now, if we can. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's... You know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, 
Let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow, that brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Here's what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. When you find your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. This is what I want us to capture from these stories in Genesis. Come back to the promise. Genesis 12, God promises to bless all his people. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we've unpacked today the stories in this chapter. They're vital to God's promises to Abraham. Technically, they line up. And the links we see in the way God orchestrated this is great. But still, when it comes to these accounts, you might, might be asking yourself, but why? It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. We're in the Garden of Eden, which was the original promised land because Adam and Eve, they were completely in God's presence. They were walking with God. It was like they were best friends with God in relationship, constantly sharing uh, in his creation, bringing joy to God and he to us. It's just a heavenly way to be, not just the promised land. Like you take God out of Eden, forget about it. Of course, we succumb to temptation from the serpent who said we could be like God. We disobeyed God's one request, and that meant we were his enemies. The punishment for our sin was separated from God, total death. But God made a promise. 
he made a promise to the devil. He said he would put enmity between the serpent and us. Total opposition. This is what that word means, enmity. Total opposition between the serpent and us. And there was a man for the job, and he was Abraham's great, great, 40 greats, grandson. That was the promise. The man was Jesus. Jesus was God's one and only son, and he sacrificed himself to be like us, to walk among us, to serve us unconditionally, to teach us, and then you know how we thanked him? We questioned him. We undermined him, we arrested him, we spat on him, we beat him, we ridiculed him, we tortured him, we stabbed him and we had him into a tree and then we left him to die. The worst type of death so we can have the ultimate life. God promised Satan that he would crush his head and to come good on that, his, he, to come good on that promise, it was his only son who was crushed. But the final stomp of victory came when he defeated death once again and rose again for all. Hallelujah. The promise of God has been fulfilled. Through Abraham, through his descendants, through failures and victories, but the promise was always Jesus. It starts and ends with him. In Colossians, Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, for Jesus. No one's ever seen God, but knowing Jesus is like looking at a photo of God. Everything that exists was created through him, and not only that, it was created for him. We were created for him. My prayer for you today, church, is the same prayer of Paul uh, to the church of the Ephesians. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Put your faith in Jesus because Jesus has made all this possible. And remember, no matter how hard you lean on his promises, they will never break. He will not break his promise. So don't ask yourself why, like I do. Ask yourself, why not? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we do thank you for the stories of your people and the undeniable truth of your providence that is in them. Thank you for the example of Jacob who showed his faith in you and was always focused on your promises. Help us to remember that like Rachel, you do hear our prayers and in your own way, your own timing, you always look after us. Thank you, Lord, for coming good on your promise to Abraham and sending Jesus to redeem each and every one of us. Help us to remember you as why we live our lives and why we make the choices that we make. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church. 
and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.